Welcome to our Domestic Supply Chain Summit. I'm Craig Fuller here with Lee Clasco. Lee is otherwise known as Logistics Lee. He is the Supply Chain and Logistics Analyst at Bloomberg. Lee, how are things going? It's been a chaotic couple of years. What are your thoughts on what's happened around the domestic supply chain industry? How would you describe this? Yeah, I mean, to say chaotic uh, would be an understatement. Um, you know, the good news, I guess, for shippers is that things will probably be normalizing in 2022. The bad news for shippers is that rates will probably remain historically high, uh, albeit, you know, you're going to see a, a reduction in whether it's we're talking about truckload or intermodal spot rates. Uh, and even container liner rates that we've seen uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, there seems to be, you know, a supply coming back to the market when we're looking at truckers uh, and in the liners, they've really been able to reduce some of that congestion that we've been seeing on the West Coast. Congestion's down about 40% from its peak in, in mid-November. So that those are all good signs for the supply chain to getting back to normal. Uh, but from a, a, a real truly normal or truly fluid system, I mean, we are probably, you know, uh, months, if not quarters away from, from that actually happening. Now, you, you mentioned something, the sort of dichotomy between capacity abstain or volume staying tight but rates starting going down what is driving sort of that sort of separation between the supply and demand matrix and the pricing yeah well if you look at the um you know on the, on the liner side um you know as con as congestion is is broken up you know as we get past the lunar new year um the supply chain is going to have time to catch up and that's going to have a flow through effect into, you know, the domestic supply chain as well, where, you know, truckers and railroads will have a chance to kind of catch their breath a little bit. Um, and, you know, that should put some downward pressure on the spot rates that we're, that we're looking at within the truckload uh, industry. Um, you know, obviously if, um, you know, some COVID variants pop up and, you know, we go revert back to a shutdown, you know, the, the trucking industry has been kind of susceptible to, uh, you know, the COVID pandemic for a number of reasons, obviously the average age of truckers, um, not to mention, you know, their typical health profile uh, makes them kind of susceptible to, uh, you know, serious uh, repercussions, even, you know, um, you know, you know, God forbid they get sick, um, you know, so, so you saw a lot of capacity come out. And not only that, you know, in the current job market, you know, truckers have a lot of different opportunities, um, you know, to go elsewhere, uh, make maybe even better money and have a much better work-life balance. Because as you know, Craig, you know, trucking is, is a difficult profession, um, you know, on, on people's lives, uh, given the fact that, you know, they're, they're, they're only home a couple times, a couple times a month, uh, those that are over the road. Yeah, it's, it certainly is. Lee, one of the things that people have been trying to figure out is if where's all this capacity or these drivers going to come from if we do see a level of sort of, new capacity come in the market? Is it owner operators that are creating new fleets? Is it the large enterprise fleets have sort of figured out how to hire and retain? Where do you think the new capacity is coming about? Well, I'm personally in the camp where I don't think, I don't think capacity is necessarily going to come into the market at scale. Um, I'm a, I'm a believer that we do have a driver shortage. I know some people argue whether it's a shortage or just the fact that we just have too much turnover in the industry. You know, I think it's one of the same. If you don't have enough people uh, for the demand there, um, it's a shortage. Um, so, you know, I don't necessarily think that capacity is going to be coming into the market. You know, I think rates are going to be coming down 
not so much because of new capacity, is because the demand and the and and what's kind of out there is kind of more aligned because you you know the demand right now is so backed up that there's just not nearly enough truckers to take in all that demand that's been backed up, whether we're talking about drayage, uh, dedicated lanes over the road. Um, you know, and trucking companies are having a difficult time finding people. It's becoming more costly to find people, to see tractors. Um, and the larger companies, you know, they, they're better situated to get new tractors. Um, as, you know, a lot of people uh, here today probably know, you know, the OEMs, uh, you know, the manufacturers of, of, of heavy duty trucks are having, um, you know, difficulty you know, manufacturing their trucks because they're having kind of the same supply chain issues that the automotive industry is having, that the semiconductor industry is having, that really everyone is having. Uh, no matter what sector you're, you're involved in. So, you know, we don't, we, we think that it's going to be a, a very difficult uh, proposition for trucking companies to find um, drivers to kind of answer your question, because you did have a question, which I just did circles around, but the, I think it's probably going to be, you know, on the owner operated side, um, just because trucking companies, at least the large trucking fleets that are out there, you know, they're looking for more diversified models, more asset light models, um, and they want to leverage on the owner operator fleet for that incremental growth as opposed to building their own networks, you know, especially when we're talking about over the road, not dedicated, but, you know, their own over the road networks. Um, you know, we saw some interesting acquisitions today with, uh, with Knight Swift buying a regional LTL carrier, MME. You know, that's the, really their plan to be more diversified, less reliant on truckload. And again, you know, an LTL driving position is probably more attractive than a truckload driving position because those drivers have, they're usually home every day, especially the pickup and delivery folks and the line hole folks are, are home, you know, if not every day, they kind of have a, a set schedule that they can kind of manage their lives, their personal lives around their profession, which is really tough to do when you're an over the road trucker. So Lee, you've talked a lot about drivers not joining the industry because of the threat of autonomous trucks and their jobs being automated. How do you think the carriers are handling it? Well, I think like the carriers are kind of, they, they want to be involved uh, and they want to be part of the evolution of trucking. You know, a lot of them, you know, Warner, for example, has an ownership in Too Simple. Uh, the CEO of, of Knight Swift is uh, an advisor to Embark. These are, these are both two autonomous trucking companies. Um, so, you know, they, they want to have a front seat to what's going on. Um, so they can kind of morph their businesses to kind of embrace those new technology changes um, within the industry. The, I mean, the whole idea of autonomous is pretty interesting to me because one of the things that I think is sort of a byproduct of the fragmented nature of the industry or primary causes is the driver themselves. I mean, if we eliminate drivers, it strikes me that this industry becomes more attractive for private equity. It becomes more of a software play than it is today. How, I mean, what do you think the business, how does the business model shift when if and when we get autonomous trucking. Yeah, so if I went into my time machine, which I, you know, I built back here uh, and, and maybe go out um, 50 years, because, you know, like I said earlier, I don't think it's going to be, you know, widespread adoption right away. But as the technology finally becomes more widely adopted, um, you know, I think it's going to be an extreme consolidation of the market, you know, uh, similar to what we saw with the rail industry, um, you know, where there today there's 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 seven class one rails, uh, soon to be six. 
um, you know, I think you're just going to see like maybe like, you know, uh, half a dozen to a dozen major players uh, and the kind of owner operators will be stuck to kind of niche um, drayage markets or, or maybe maybe some other markets that we don't know. Maybe they go to Mars and they're, they're destructing demand uh, for for, for on Mars, because I, I, again, we're talking way out there, but you know, we definitely see um, if that were to happen, the market to it consolidate um, because you wouldn't need the driver and, and, and the driver really provides that fragmentation to the market because it's so easy for somebody with a CDL um, to, to get into the market and kind of start their own business. Um, and that's why there's been always a lot of entrepreneurs within trucking and a lot of the major trucking companies that are here today, you know, it's usually started with one person and one truck. Yeah. But what happens to the brokerage industry if that happens? Cause the, the reason they're largely successful is that they, you know, benefit from the opaqueness and the fragmented nature of the market, it, it would suggest that if all of a sudden you had autonomous trucks, that you may not need the 16,000 freight brokerages that are in the market. I mean, I think you you would see a rationalization of, the, of that industry as well. You know, I think that there is always a place for freight brokers because they, you know, really good freight brokers do more than just bring buyers and sellers together, right? You know, they, they a lot of the times they're, they're holding the hand of the shipper or the trucker. Um, obviously, you wouldn't be holding the hand of the computer, but you're still the shippers. We're hopefully, we're still going to be, you know, people. Um and you know, I think they'll provide a role for that um, going going forward in, in this, I guess, utopia kind of um, place where um, the machines have taken over. Yeah, I think the railroad analogy is a really strong one uh, because it. I think a lot of people who are sort of recent, more recent to the industry, may not realize how fragmented the railroad industry at one point was, and how many railroads there were. You know, forty, fifty. 80 years ago, but that's largely changed. You want to tell us a little bit about sort of the history of the railroads and how that consolidated? Sure. So like uh, the, the industry was uh, deregulated in the 1980s with uh, something called the Staggers Act. Uh, and at that time, you know, it was uh, very hard for railroads to merge. It was also even hard for a railroad, even an unprofitable railroad to go bankrupt um, because, you know, the, the, the government interest wanted that railroad to continue to perform, even if it wasn't able to make any money. Uh, with the passing of the Staggers Act, you've had something like, I think the number is like 37 or 38 railroads, class one railroads, so the biggest railroads uh, consolidate down to, down to seven. Um, you know, in terms of ownership of railroads, one of those railroads, uh, Burlington Northern, is now independently owned by Berkshire Hathaway. Um, so that's not a, a public railroad. And then you just had the recent, um, you know, well, at least it hasn't been finalized yet, but the, the merger between Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern, the two smallest class ones, you know, they're getting together in a merger, which probably will close in the second half of next year. Uh, and so that will bring you down to, to six railroads. You know, we don't see further consolidation uh, anytime soon. Um, right now, the way it's, it's set up, if there is further consolidation, it would probably be an east-west railroad. Um, you know, a CSX and a Norfolk Southern either getting together with uh, um, uh, with with Union Pacific or or Burlington Northern. Um, I think that that is something that could be could be viable. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, the the long term um, 
uh, CEO at Norfolk Southern, who has you know been really against kind of his company merging with anybody when Canadian Pacific uh, kind of approached them a couple of years ago. He recently retired, so you know who knows uh, some of the the Eastern Rails might be more willing uh, uh, to to merge uh, with somebody. Um, going forward. But I, I think that's, you know, that is probably, it's going to happen, but I think we're like multiple years out before before that happens, because I think the STB wants to see how this uh, CP-KSU uh, merger plays out and what the implications are for shippers. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, what, what, what really will promote a deal is A, there's no overlap, which in East and West railroads don't really have that much overlap, uh, and B, does it enhance uh, the, the shippers uh, service uh, and, and, and increase competition versus taking competition away. And I think that the litmus test for the CPKSU deal uh, will, will tell us a lot about what that, what that could be for an East-West Railroad merger. Lee, I've heard a lot of people around the railroad industry talk about autonomous trucks are more threatening to the railroads than perhaps they are even to the trucking uh, players, the, the companies that are in it, particularly the enterprise carriers. Do you buy that argument? Is there a risk with autonomous trucking taking away railroad volumes at a point where it makes that that model economically infeasible? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's always a risk. If you look at the Venn diagram of what makes sense to go on rail versus uh, trucking, there is a portion of, of, of those two uh, circles, if you will, um, that they go back and forth or it might be viable for rail or by truck. I think if you have autonomous trucking, you know, yes, it, it, it could take away um, some 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 volumes, but let's just say like, well, why don't rails go autonomous? I mean, at the end of the day, um, they're on a track, which is probably a little safer than being on a highway, um, you know. And 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 the the issue there really becomes um, a, a labor issue. So it has to be a decision with with labor uh, because you know the rail industry is heavily unionized, uh, and obviously they're not going to be huge fans of their their um, uh, members, you know, their union members losing their jobs or reducing their ranks. Um, so, you know, it has to be something in it for them. Um, and whether that's reducing, you know, the number of people in, 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 the, in the locomotive from two to one or from one to zero, it's definitely possible. Um, and if the railroad industry has enough um, loss from an autonomous trucking world, you know, you would see probably labor being more more interested uh, to talk about um, providing or creating autonomous locomotives. Um, and again, it's probably not something that would be widespread across the North American network, but there are probably certain lanes, certain areas where it just makes sense. Um, you know, um, and then we also always have to think about what if something goes wrong. So whether it's on a on a rail network or a truck, you know, how how does that get get fixed? If if you know the truck breaks down or the weather is no good or um, you know there's something wrong with the air brakes on the railroad, um, you know, because there are people that have to walk the the, the train uh, and make sure everything is is okay. And 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 there's there's those issues as well. You know, I think that transportation in general is just going to get um, it's become more autonomous, but just not fully autonomous. And whether that's, you know, you're talking about brokers earlier, you know, that you, brokers can do a heck of a lot more today than they could 20 years ago because of technology. Uh, brokers are becoming a lot more uh, efficient uh, because there's some, there's some transactions that are truly frictionless now where there's no human interaction. And so the, the broker can just handle those, those issues that arise 
Um, and, and again, we we're, we're talking about early, hold the hand of that shipper or that trucker if there's something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be an interesting time. This infrastructure bill seems like it really benefits the railroads in some ways even more than trucking. What is your perception of the new sort of this new age of transportation and what the infrastructure bill might mean for the yeah, so I, I think it's interesting. You know, a, a lot of companies are, are looking towards, um, you know, ESG, you know, environmental um, and governance uh, um, um, metrics. Um, a lot of public companies are looking at the ESG metrics, and you know, some of some of the things that are that are going on make railroads a lot more um, environmentally friendly relative to trucking, just given you know where they are from, from a fuel consumption standpoint. Um, but but I, I I would take a step back and and you know any any infra the infrastructure bill in general is just stimulus right and stimulus is good for everybody well it's usually good for everybody but you well, know labor I mean it's been good but for shippers and carriers finding drivers it hasn't been good so there's the the byproduct of that but yeah so will. So we you know, kind of let's bring this back to the beginning of the conversation. You know, we believe that the race cycle is going to be a lot longer than people think this time. Um, you know, we're not saying this time is different. We're just saying this time is longer. You know, there's going to be like we've we've peaked. All right, we all know we peaked, but they're gonna it's it's going to remain relatively high from historical standpoints. Trucking companies will still have pricing power because there's going to be constrained supply. Whether it's they can't get uh, drivers, the drug clearing house is keeping people out of the market. Um, COVID's impact on people not wanting to work, uh, people's opportunities in, in other industries. So you're going to have that that tight market, uh, and then you add a sprinkle a little uh, increase in demand, whether that's for flatbed uh, because of you know a lot of the infrastructure stuff will be flatbed or bulk, but it's still taking CDL drivers that that you're going to need to deliver that stuff. Um, is, is this going to be good for the trucking? industry. It's going to be good for the rail industry because uh, you're creating additional demand um, out there. Uh, will it increase the inflationary pressures that everyone is facing today? Absolutely. That's going to be, you know, for labor, it could be even for fuel um, and, and equipment. Um, you know, those, those, those inflationary pressures are really some of the main reasons why everyone has the the pricing power that they have, you know, they have to recover their costs or they're not going to be in business. Um, you know, we can argue about like, what is, what is a proper return on your investment? Um, but if you're a public company, you're trying to, to maximize that as best as you can um, and juggling everything else at the same time. Um, so I, you know, we, we think that the stimulus, the stimulus bill is going to be a win-win for trucking and for rail. Uh, I don't necessarily see one necessarily benefiting that much more than the other. I think it's going to be good for everybody. Lee, bold prediction. I know this is domestic, but we, what happens in the ocean certainly doesn't stay on the ocean market. Do you think the container lines end up getting caught in regulatory pressure if they have the sort of super long rate cycle and pricing power? Do you think they, they, become subject to governments trying to really rein them in? 
I think from head from a headline standpoint, yes. From an actionable standpoint, no. Because I mean, we, you remember, right? What was it like uh, twenty months ago? They were losing money. <laughs> they were hemorrhaging money. It's the worst. It's like the worst industry. You yeah. Turn on capital, you could possibly. I I, I mean, I, you know, I I cover all modes of transportation, and I talk to all sorts of people domestically and, and internationally, and when I talk about the, the marine shipping industry, it's like. The container liner industry and the dry bulk industry is is is, is not really investable. It's really a tr a trading mechanism because you're you're trading the cycle. Um, and you know, three years ago, those industries were terrible, and now they're like they have pricing power. They're making money. The tanker industry actually is going to probably have a brighter 2022 um, for you know increased supply of oil, increased demand of oil, a lot of old ships that are probably going to get scrapped. Um, I, so going back to the liner question, I don't see regulation actually happening because, you know, we do think that rates are going to stair step lower. Uh, they'll probably start stair stepping lower after the, the Lunar New Year. Um, things are going to get back to normal. I think the good news for the liner industry is that it's gotten a little more consolidated. They're a little more disciplined. Um, a lot of, you know, especially the, the, the European companies are, 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 I would say, a lot more disciplined than some of their Asian counterparts. Uh, and, and that has a lot to do with, you know, if you're a Chinese liner, uh, you're probably a part of you is owned by the government. And that government also probably owns shipyards and those shipyards want to be employed. Uh, so you might order more ships than you actually need. You know, I think we'll see like an increase in, on supply on the water in 2023. And so 2023 is not going to be as good a year as 2022, which is not going to be as good a year as 2021. So just, just remember everyone, this is a cycle and, you know, things, things will probably get back to normal. And, you know, maybe in 2024, we'll all have a laugh about like how container rates uh, from, uh, from China to LA are, are under a thousand dollars, you know? Yeah, we're at peak. <laughs> the market resets, trucking sounds likely you, you subscribe to the thought that the, the market's largely peaked. And from here on out, or from here for the short term at least, uh, it, it is slightly downward pressure on rates across all modes. Is that, is that a summary of what we're talking about? Yeah, so on the truck, so I'll, I'll, I'll be a little more specific. On the truckload side, you know, we still expect contractual rates to increase mid-high single digits next year on top of the low double digits that we're seeing this year. So we still think that the truckload market will see rates increases. We think the LTL industry will have mid-single uh, rate, rate increases. Now, when we're talking about the liner industry, um, you're going to see declines just because it, it's more, it, it's and the declines that we're talking about, you know, the, the spot market is, is up, um, 200% you want to call it, you can just throw out a crazy number and you'd be like, yeah, that's what it's up. Um, because there's so many different measurements of it, but it's, 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 that, that's, that's just unsustainable. So you're going to see, um, those rates come down. Uh, and so year over year, you're going to see declines, uh, also on the air freight market, you'll probably see rates coming down as more supply comes back to the market. Again, that's excluding any severe shocks, uh, from, from travel restrictions, uh, related to any COVID variants. Uh, you know, um, I'm supposed to go to Mexico at the end of the month, so I'm, I'm hoping that 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 vacation plans are are intact. Um, and then, you know, and then so we talked about trucking, and on the rail side, you know, listen, rails they have pricing power. They have pricing power no matter what the cycle is. They're going to get um, you know rates above their costs, um, and 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 so you know that could be 
uh, low to mid single digits uh, in terms of next year increases. So, um, and then when we, when we, but when we talk about the spot markets, the spot market will definitely be down. Well, definitely, hopefully, probably uh, will be down uh, in in twenty twenty two when it comes to truckload and 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 the container industry. It's a uh, crazy timely, and I can't wait to see if some of these predictions come true. Uh, really enjoyed your time today, uh, and appreciate you being a part of this. We'll we'll certainly come back and talk about all of these topics, uh, and we're going to cover them throughout the day. So, really appreciate your time. And thank you for tuning in to our Freight Race Summit as we close out the year and we look forward to next.